This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. There's so little about the Biden presidency that has been a surprise. In fact, if anything, it feels like it was all so obvious. We all saw this coming in so many ways that it's not even it's not even worth anyone's time to say, I, t- I told you this was going to happen because we all you knew. I knew we all knew this was going to happen. And now we're seeing it play out before us. Joe Biden is a sub mediocrity. He's a buffoon. He's too old for the job. He's not smart enough for the job. He isn't a leader. I mean, there's so many problems here and we're just seeing this. And, and his vice president is no better in the, in the skills and ability department. She's also somebody we've seen that uh, you would not describe as a leader if you were being objective. But we'll get to all that in a moment. I want to focus in on what's going on with you at home now and at work whenever you're online. True online privacy is in the past. Your online data always seems to be under the magnifying glass by big tech. There's anxiety from not having control of your online data while it is being manipulated and sold to advertisers. But now there's a new way with the ultimate privacy and cybersecurity communications tool in your hands. Introducing Secure, an instant messaging and email platform hosted in Switzerland, protecting your data with the strictest privacy laws in the world. Secure is spelled S-E-K-U-R and uses proprietary encryption technologies, an independent platform, and Swiss privacy laws to ensure complete privacy and security of your data on desktop and in transit. This is secure and private instant messaging and email. It assures your conversations, messages, and data are kept completely safe and private. Secure does not mine your data and is not subject to the Cloud Act. Take back your freedom, privacy, and online security with Secure by going to sekur.com. That's S-E-K-U-R, secure.com. Make sure you use the coupon code BUCK. That'll tell them you heard about them here on the show and also get you one week free and 25% off. It's a great deal. Please use that coupon code BUCK. Just go right now, sekur.com. That's the website, secure.com. And regain your privacy. Use coupon code BUCK. We must all commit to an ambitious climate action if we're going to prevent the worst impacts of climate change limiting global warming to no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius and lead the global, the global transition to clean energy technology. You know, when I went over in the tank in the Pentagon when I first was elected vice president with President Obama, the military sat us down to let us know what the greatest threats facing America were, the greatest physical threats. This is not a joke. You know what the Joint Chiefs told us the greatest threat facing America was? Global warming. Because there'll be significant population movements, fights over land, millions of people leaving places because they're literally sinking below the sea in Indonesia because of the fights over what is arable land anymore. You know what is a joke? Joe Biden's IQ. I mean, this is not a smart individual. He's running the country, not a bright guy. And we're supposed to sit here and listen to this utter buffoon ramble on in front of the military about how the greatest threat this country faces is climate change. 
That is the dumbest thing I've heard since people were walking around in marches and in riots yelling, defund the police. Does it get dumber than this? I don't know. It looks like Democrats are always trying to find a new way to say insane things and have everybody just go along with it for some reason. What? No rational, well-adjusted human being who is capable of thinking for himself or herself believes the greatest threat to America is climate change. This is crazy stuff. But these are the same people that believe at any moment now there could be another insurrection. Oh, no, another insurrection. You'll notice that the Biden administration is in charge. Democrats have majorities in Congress, or at least in the House and a de facto majority in the Senate. And there aren't riots all over the country. Republicans aren't we're not burning down everything. We're not throwing a fit because our guy isn't in charge. No, that's what the other side does. But one time. A handful in the grand scheme of things of Republicans got out of hand and rioted at Capitol Hill. And I don't even know if they call themselves Republicans. They probably thought of themselves as Trumpers or right wingers or whatever they want to self-identify as. But one time we have to hear about it forever. There is no proportionality in the thinking of the modern Democrat left. There, there's no sense of of what is truly reasonable and what is based in objective truth. It's just whatever they want, whatever they feel like saying, whatever advances their desire, because that's really what their primary political motivator is. What do they want? It's not what's right, what's best, what works. What do they want? It's like the tantrum of a child running the United States government. And Joe Biden is just there to give voice to and placate and pander to those tantrums. Climate change is the greatest threat. No, no reasonable person who is capable of any wisdom, any any sound judgment goes, yeah, that's right. Bigger, bigger threat. We just went through a global pandemic, right? We could go through another one. You'd think that at least they'd say, a worse version of covid would be a bigger threat. You think at least they'd recognize, I don't know, nuclear war with China is a bigger threat. Whole bunch of things you could put in there. But no, this is the commander in chief and our supposed expert class and all the journos, the clapping seals. All they do is just talk about how great Joe Biden is, how amazing Kamala is. I mean, she's not really amazing, but we're going to say she's amazing because we know we're supposed to say she's amazing. We all see it for what it is. At least you do if you're listening to this show. Because if you didn't, if you didn't see this based on what is real and what is true, you would you'd be watching, uh, you know, MSNBC. You'd be reading the New York Times editorial page. You'd be woke. But no, you choose to live in the real world. So instead, you're here with me. And Biden, of course, talking tough on the world stage right now, a little less tough about The UK, you may have seen this, one of our closest allies. I mean, I even have a hard time thinking of Canada is not really an an ally. It's a family member, right? I mean, Canada, they're they're not even a buddy. They're like our brother. Uh, But the UK is is right up there as as among our very closest allies and and really kind of like a if Canada is our brother, the UK is a cousin. And already Biden's caused some some issues here, Uh, according to the, the UK Times. Uh, Biden ordered U.S. officials to give 
Johnson, Boris Johnson, the prime minister in the UK, a di- uh, give a diplomatic rebuke, a demarche for putting the Northern Ireland peace process at risk over Brexit negotiations with the EU. The Biden folks are saying, oh, no, that's not true at all. You know, they're they're given this whole world tour about democracy is back and we stand together. I'm sure Boris Johnson remembers that Biden once called him a physical and emotional clone of Donald Trump, and he didn't mean it as a compliment. I'm sure that there are other world leaders who can look at Joe Biden with clear eyes and understand that this is an individual who is neither mentally nor physically nor spiritually capable of being a leader in any meaningful way. But now he parades around the world because it makes Democrats feel better to have a guy with a D next to his name all the time who just does the bidding of the Democrat establishment, which is all Joe Biden has ever done. This is who he is. And yet he talks about standing up to Russia, standing up to uh, enemies on on the world stage. Here he is. Play 14. But I've been clear. The United States will respond in a robust and meaningful way when the Russian government engages in harmful activities. We've already demonstrated that. I'm going to communicate that there are consequences for violating, for violating the sovereignty of democracies. There's going to be consequences. You know, for, uh, you know, no joke, consequences. Yeah, you know, here I am telling you Russia, we're going to, listen to me, folks, listen to me. We're going to tell Putin, you better knock it off. You better knock it off. Yeah, this is this is who this is. I mean, people always talk about how how they uh, the journos always viewed Trump as the angry uncle at at Thanksgiving dinner made president. Joe Biden is the confused uncle that everybody has to sort of pat on the shoulder and say, OK, yes. We, we love the, the, the new board game that you built that doesn't make sense to anybody. But congratulations, right? That, that Joe Biden is an absurdity. And he is the commander in chief. Global warming, folks. No joke. There I was in the Pentagon. And I said, you know, if the biggest I'm going to tell you right now, because I'm, I'm I'm folksy. You notice I use the word folks and I kind of do this thing where. I'm going to repeat the same phrase that I've said a million times, but I'm going to just act like I'm leaning in, like you're my friend, because I've been doing politics for, you know, like 50 years, and, and I've, I've learned little tricks of the trade, so I never have to know anything. I don't have to understand, but if I just make my voice sound like this, and even though I'm from Delaware, start to sound like I'm maybe... Maybe I'm from the Midwest. Maybe I'm from the South. You can't really tell. See, I move all around. I'm Joe Biden. I'm like your friend at the dinner table. You know, I just hear to hear to sort of breathy talk to you about some nonsense. And hey, here I am, Commander in Chief. It's amazing this guy is in charge. But he is. But he is. Oh yes, you know who's I'm sure uh, shaking in his boots? Vladimir Putin. I'm sure he's terrified. Play 11. I've been in and out of here many, many times. I've 
visited well over 100 countries as president or chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, or I mean, as vice president or chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee. This is my first overseas trip as president of the United States. I'm heading to the G7, then to the NATO ministerial, and then to meet with Mr. Putin to let him know what I want him to know. At every point along the way, we're going to make it clear that the United States is back and democracies of the world are standing together to tackle the toughest challenges and the issues that matter most to our future. That we're committed to leading with strength, defending our values, and delivering for our people. America is better positioned to advance our national security and our economic prosperity when we bring together like-minded nations to stand with us. Every speech that Joe Biden has ever given, pretty much, you could just put at any point in history and say, this is a politician giving a speech. That's who this guy is. So he's always been. We're standing up for our values. I'm not going to tell you what the values are. I'm standing up for our values. Going to be back. Going to do this thing where I bring you down here with my voice. And then all of a sudden I get loud because that means I'm serious. No joke. Yeah, this is the guy who's now the leader of the free world, everybody. Meanwhile, back at home, how are things going? Oh, that's right. U.S. inflation at a 13-year high. Prices surging 5%. Gee, it turns out when you spend money like there is no tomorrow, things start getting a lot more expensive for everybody tomorrow. Uh, and using this meeting as an opportunity to move our interests forward. So it's not about friendship. They have known each other for a long time. They have a lot of disagreements. But this is going to be a candid conversation. It's going to be a straightforward conversation. The president's going to raise areas where he has concern, whether it's the ransomware attacks or the aggression on the border of Ukraine or human rights abuses. But there are also areas we think we can work together. Nuclear stability. We, we signed an extension of New Start. Uh, Russia is an important partner as it relates to the Iran nuclear deal. We're negotiating are ongoing. So we want to move to a more stable and predictable relationship. That's in our interest. We don't want it to be adversarial and always heightened. Uh, and that's what we're hopeful this will be the beginning of, of the start to. I just wanted you all to hear that because, wait, now all of a sudden Democrats don't want an adversarial relationship with Russia? That's what she just said. For four years, we heard that Russia had quite literally undermined our democracy by putting a Kremlin agent in the White House as president through stealing an election in 2016. This is what our lunatic, dishonest media was telling everybody for four years. And now it's, well, you know, we're going to we're going to talk tough to Putin, but we don't want an adversarial relationship. You don't want an adversarial relationship. I, I thought Russia was our biggest concern. I thought Russia was hiding under my bed and I had to be terrified that Russia was going to jump out of the shadows at any moment. Putin and the Kremlin were just going to attack me. That's if you believed the corporate Democrat media for the last four years. Well, until this year, Russia was a was a horrible country working in all kinds of ways to attack us and undermine us and doing all these things. And look, I've been very critical of Putin for a long time, as as others have on the right. He's not a good guy. I mean, there's, there's no confusion about this. I mean, he is an authoritarian, but Democrats like authoritarians. The, the great lie that the Democrats tell themselves is that they're, they're the party 
of you know the they're they're the party of liberty, the party of the people, of democracy. When really it is the Democrats who are all about consolidation of power through a state apparatus and then wielding that as a political bludgeon instrument against anybody who disagrees. It is the Democrats who want to shut down free speech. It is the Democrats who want to shut down the free exercise of religion. It is the Democrats who want to make you mask up and stay home when they say so because they say so. And just go down the list. They're the ones that want to, in Maoist cultural revolution style, politicize absolutely everything and make effective human sacrifices out of people who get caught up in the machinery of wokeness. They view this as somehow advancing the country's interest. They think this is better for all of us. Yes, that's great. Use racial Marxism to divide us all and then. Make sure that there is no grace or mercy or decency in our politics toward those you disagree with. It's not that they're wrong. It's that they're evil. It's not that they disagree. It's that they're bad. This is central to the Democrat ethos today, unfortunately, for this country. It is a different Democrat party than it was 10 years ago, certainly than it was 50 years ago. And they think they're the great friends of democracy. They're certainly not the great friends of the Constitution and individual liberty. That much is clear. Uh, They are the party of authoritarians. They are the party of the state, big S state. And yet they go around talking about how, yes, now now America's back. Biden says we didn't go anywhere. Where did they get this idea that America was disappearing or had disappeared? That's just not true. The media created a false narrative. We'll talk about the false narrative of the clearing of Lafayette Square later. Uh, which was a big lie, another big lie the media told about Trump, but it served the purpose at the time. So they're fine with it. There's no embarrassment from them. You have to remember that they don't care. Um, But they they're working so hard now to create a a vision of Biden, the great statesman traversing the globe after Kamala Harris completely flopped in Guatemala and Mexico. We all know it. We all saw it. But. The problem that they're going to have to deal with is that the results of this Biden administration are already starting to show up and they are not good. When you're talking about U.S. inflation at a 13 year high, what you're saying is inflation is the worst since the financial crisis. Since uh, August of 2008, consumer inflation up considerably. This follows a 4.2 rise for the year that, uh, in April. All right. The core price index, which excludes the volatile categories of food and energy, rose three point eight percent in May from a year before the largest increase for that reading since June of 1992, according to The Wall Street Journal. Prices for used cars and trucks leapt seven point three percent from the previous month, driving one third of the rise in the overall index on a month to month basis. Overall prices rose point six percent. Friends, you're making less money now. Your dollars go less far. You have less buying power. Your bank account is worth less. All those hours you put to have those numbers on the screen, the Democrat policies of wild overspending and just acting like nothing. And look, yes, it is true. 
what the Republicans, the Republicans spent too much money. Donald Trump, yes, spent too much money as well. That is true. I'm not going to walk away from that or pretend it didn't happen. But it's one thing when you find out your kid ran up $500 on the family credit card without you. It's another thing when the kid's like, I'm going to run up 10 grand. Right. You can say that both of these things are bad ideas and one of them is a lot worse than the other. This is what the Democrats are doing. They are spending. They are are uh, dragging the economy down and they're taking a redistributive approach to everything, to power in society, to money, uh, to our rights there. I mean, they're Marxists on so many levels. It's all about finding the divides between people and then just promise to equal things out, create greater equity at the expense of individual rights, at the expense of what is actually right, because it makes some people feel better. Father's Day is around the corner. And if your dad or grandfather served this great country of ours, how cool would it be to give him something meaningful this year? Something that recognized what he gave to this country, something like the American flag. If you know your father or grandfather would be moved by a gift like this, then let me recommend you to my friends at Allegiance Flag Supply. Everything this country means to your dad is reflected in the quality of the craftsmanship Allegiance Flag Supply puts into all their flags. And these are flags that are made in America, which is actually really uncommon, believe it or not. They are hand-sewn by seamstresses in Charleston, South Carolina, who had lost jobs previously to companies outsourcing overseas. And they're made with materials that do not allow for cutting corners in the manufacturing process. All of this translates into a flag that waves proudly outside your father's home, his dock, or on his boat, and won't get tangled, torn, or shredded, which happens to so many other flags in the marketplace because they're cheaply made, they're made in China, and honestly, the people making them don't care. Allegiance Flag Supply cares about this country, about patriotism, and about getting you the best, highest quality made-in-America flags you'll ever see. This is a way to say thank you to Dad on multiple levels this Father's Day. Go to showallegiance.com and enter promo code BUCK to get 10% off your order. That also lets them know you heard about them here on the show. Go to showallegiance.com, that's the website, and enter promo code BUCK for 10% off your order and get yours in time for Father's Day on June 20th. That's showallegiance.com, enter promo code BUCK for 10% off. So how is fumbling, bumbling Biden doing on the world stage? Is he annoying some of our Good dear friends over in the UK. Not a, not an auspicious start. We have our friend Raheem Kassam with us now to talk about this. He is the co-host of the War Room podcast. I'm sure you all know very well. He also is the editor of the National Pulse. Go to nationalpulse.com for their latest reporting. Raheem, great to have you. Thank you for having me and congratulations. I appreciate that, sir. We're going to have you on the other show soon, too. And I want to know what you think so far about Biden deciding to uh, demarche, we are told, to, to give a stern lecture to Johnson's people, Boris Johnson of the UK, over Northern Ireland. Not, not, what, friends, not what friends are supposed to do to friends during trips like this, Raheem. Well, I mean, Biden is, is, is really trying to uh, execute a grudge here. Remember, the, the Brexit campaign was interfered with by his boss, Barack Obama, who traveled to the United Kingdom ahead of the Brexit referendum in 2016 to say, if you vote for this, you will go to the back of the queue 
for any trade deals that you possibly might want to do with other nations around the world, the United States obviously being one of the most important trading partners for the United Kingdom around the world. And Obama's threats, remember, didn't work. The British public rose up on June the 23rd of 2016 and said, uh, um, you know, with a, with, a, with a pretty big majority, I mean, 52 versus 48 doesn't sound like a lot. But actually, we, the, the, the percentage difference there, it's not a 4% difference. The percentage difference from one to the other, and now the percentage difference in the approval I think it's like 70% approval now, Brexit. It really has backfired on the globalists. So, of course, Joe Biden wants to trot on over there after he's dealt with the cicadas, of course, at, at Dulles. Trot on over to the United Kingdom and say, well, look, we warned you. We warned you this was going to happen. The British public don't care. What they care about is that they have the uh, uh, autonomy now to do their own trade deals on the world stage, that they have the autonomy to make their own laws in their own parliament and hold to account those people who are making their laws. Of course, there was always going to be some difficulty. Nobody pretended there wasn't going to be some difficulty, whether it was on the Irish border, whether it was you know, trading with the EU itself. All of those things are totally natural and will appeal to Americans as being totally natural because America still remembers what it was like developing its own uh, nation after 1776. Uh, what Hamilton had to do, the report on the subject of manufacturers, all of that. And that's happening in a, on a smaller scale, but that's happening in Britain again today. Joe Biden has, a, has, a, has, a, uh, has an interest in Boris Johnson. Let's put it this way. Boris Johnson is a globalist. He, he, he masquerades as a conservative, sometimes even masquerades as a libertarian. But his wife, his new wife, worked at the uh, Clinton Global Initiative, one of their subsidiaries, uh, and, and Boris Johnson has actually taken the United Kingdom through a pretty authoritarian uh, lockdown this last year and a half. So Joe Biden is very interested in, in, in sort of forcing Boris Johnson to heal. Uh, unfortunately, it's just going to make Boris Johnson less popular with the, with the British public and make Joe Biden and sadly America uh, more unpopular with the British public, too. What is it about Brexit, Raheem, that so upsets American leftists and the Democrat Party, you know, the Biden, Schumer, Pelosi, AOC axis, they hate Brexit. And I mean, obviously, with Pelosi and Biden, it's not like they really know much about it, but they know they're supposed to hate it. Why? <laughs> well, it, it's very simple. It's, it's nationism, right? It's nationism versus globalism. The idea that you should control your own destiny, the idea that your vote actually might mean something. You may actually be able to hold your politicians to account. Of course, politicians hate the idea of this. But for American politicians that have, that have used their several decades in power to, to sap America out, to bleed America out, to export America out to other countries, to trash the manufacturing industry in the country and all of this, what Brexit was, was not a um, you know, crescendo of a pro-nation movement around the world. It was the first brick out of the wall. So now they look at things that they like, like the United Nations and the World Health Organization and all of these other bodies that they have tried to put together to put bureaucrats, bureaucrats like Fauci, in to control what's actually going on in terms of policy. While people think they control what's going on policy by using their vote at the ballot box, that, that Brexit movement was a brick out of the wall in the wider globalist project. And you know what? You know what's really interesting about it? You know, COVID-19 and authoritarian lockdowns aside, before that all happened, there were just these incredible green shoots 
of, of economic prosperity, um, you know, manifesting themselves in the United Kingdom. People wanted to invest again in such a massive way. And of course, they, the, the, the Bidens, the Pelosi's and all the others, they cannot afford to let that happen. We're speaking to Raheem Kassam, co-host of the War Room podcast and editor of the National uh, National Pulse. Go check out nationalpulse.com for their latest. And Raheem, a lot of well, it's it's supposed to sound tough, but it's very vague when it comes to what Biden's saying about Russia. You know, we have the the White House press secretary saying, well, we don't want to be confrontational with Russia. And Biden giving giving his speech on the way out on it before his trip saying, you know, oh, I'm going to talk to Putin. And it's going to be mm. tough. You know, we're, we're yeah, not, not really clear on what out. exactly that means. I just think there's a, there's almost a like a multiple personality disorder from the Democrats on Russia. So is Russia hiding under their bed doing doing collusion and destroying our democracy or should we work with them? It seems like they can't figure out what the line's supposed to be. They can't figure it out because actually the Democratic Party has, a, has a, and, and the Democratic Party machine actually has a waning um, grip on foreign policy. Um, they, they fundamentally misunderstand geopolitically the world as it is today. They misunderstood Brexit. They misunderstood Bolsonaro in Brazil. They misunderstood Modi in India. They misunderstand quite a lot of things all around the world. And so they're, they're on the fly attempting to make new new kind of, um, you know, geopolitical strictures up in their minds. Uh, this may sound like a kind of a, a niche point, but for instance, the D.C. think tank circuit, right, which is a multi-billion dollar industry here in Washington, D.C., really used to control all of that policy papers, briefings, meetings, lectures, seminars, uh, you know, one-on-ones, all of that. But actually, the DC think tank circuit was left utterly stunned and rebuked by what happened both in the United Kingdom and the United States in 2016. And they've never really recovered from that. They find it harder and harder to fundraise. They find it harder and harder to convey their ideas. And it was really the globalists and the Democrats who used them as the kind of intellectual vanguard of where geopolitically they should stand. The Democrats don't have that anymore. So they're all over the place. Yes, you're right to point out they're all over the place on Russia. And they get played, by the way, by everybody. They got played on the CCP's virus. They're getting played by Russia now. And they'll be played by other actors in, over the coming uh, months and years as well. I mean, do you really think, who, I mean, who would you choose in a chess match, right? Would you choose Vladimir Putin? Or would you choose Kamala Harris? And let's all just be honest about that. Um, would you choose Joe? I don't think you could even choose Joe Biden because as a, as a, if he was if this was Street Fighter and he was on your screen as a potential thing, it would be character gray and locked out. Joe Biden is asleep. So so geopolitically speaking, um, I mean, this is a really interesting point that not enough people are talking about now. We actually kind of have uh, a vacuum of leadership in the world. It's amazing, isn't it? Because because Biden's actually going around and his favorite talking point is. American leadership is back and democracies unite. And I'm just asking, one, when did demo- when when was American leadership gone under Trump? And two, when were we not united with democracies exactly? The whole thing just feels so phony. It is phony. They have to build a straw man up to knock it down. Um, you know, most people now realize, and if you look at the polling, I've been looking at a lot of the a lot of the uh, Rasmussen polling recently, uh, some of the others out there. If you look at all of that, I mean, uh, institutionally speaking, Americans have a have a uh, less confidence in their institutions, both domestically and foreign policy wise, uh, than almost ever before. I think the media's approval rating was at nine percent two years ago. Imagine what that is today. So the Democrats have to find straw men to knock down. Kamala Harris tried it in, in on her recent trip. I'm going to study the root causes. 
it was a disaster. I mean, it was an embarrassment. And even the left media are saying that Kamala Harris's trip was an embarrassment. Um, so I think they are in for a, or, or rather are in the midst of experiencing an incredibly rude awakening. Um, people don't think they're legitimate in, in any way. Speaking to Raheem Kassam, co-host of the War Room podcast, you can get wherever you listen to your podcast. Raheem, I wanted to switch gears with you for a second to, it turns out the story from last year that Donald Trump as the, you know, the, the second coming of, of like Mussolini eliminated protesters from the square for a photo op. Remember this one? I mean, you, yep. you run a website. You know what it is to be dealing with the news cycle every day, as well as doing commentary and, and analysis on your, on your podcast. What I'm trying to convey to my audience all the time now is understand that they aren't, when these things happen, yes, we have to point it out, and yes, we have to, to set the record straight, but they're not, the, the Democrat corporate media is not embarrassed by this. Their attitude is, we got away with another one. It worked when it had to work. Yeah, there's, there's, but there's no accountability in media, right? The, the, the entire premise of, of the First Amendment, which the media, by the way, is, all, is constantly attacking for people like you and me, um, but the entire premise of the First Amendment that they, that they hide behind uh, when, it, when it comes to them is that, you, you know, speech is free and that's fine. But when there's accountability behind that speech, the media runs screaming for the hills. And I'm just talking about accountability in terms of uh, people should be fired uh, for misreporting things. People should be mocked and ridiculed and humiliated, uh, as, as so many of these people should be. I mean, look at the Hunter Biden hard drive from hell, which, by the way, I'm standing in the very room that I stood when I received that drive all those months ago and started pouring through it. You look at the COVID-19 and the CCP virus stuff and, and whether it was made in the lab and that was a conspiracy theory. And, and now most people are like, well, yeah, I mean, that probably is what happened. There aren't actually any bats around that area. So there's, th th there's never been anybody held accountable in the media for not just telling these lies, but regurgitating the lies of bureaucrats and politicians who lie to the American public for their own personal gain. That 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 interview between chuck todd and dr fauci yesterday is case in point of all of it chuck todd knows that dr fauci he knows that dr fauci is telling lies but he goes out there anyway and acts as his public relations executive uh live on national television so so what does accountability look like you know how do how do you actually get the these reporters these stenographers that sit in the white house uh, uh press room uh, to be held accountable to uh, to their actions when you know, they're not going to lose their jobs because they're employed by these big corporate entities that have a, a, an interest in keeping them lying to the public. I don't know quite yet what it looks like, but I do know that many people are asking questions about what it's going to look like. Check out my friend Raheem Kassam's podcast, War Room, with Steve Bannon, Raheem Kassam, and Jason Miller. Raheem, great to have you, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, bud. Cheers. Another big lie the media told about Trump. During the election year, no less, and magnified for maximum political impact. And it was all bull, all false. Collection of headlines here gives you a sense of what the reality is. Park police plan to clear area before Trump photo op, Watchdog says. That's the New York Times. Watchdog report finds Park police did not clear racial injustice protesters from Lafayette Park for Trump's visit uh, to the area. Uh, Washington Post, the lingering questions about the clearing, the clearing of Lafayette Square. Um, 
Fox News has it. Police did not clear Lafayette Square so Trump could pose for photo with the Bible, Inspector General says. Yeah. So let's all just take a moment here to be clear on what happened. The Interior Department, okay, has an Inspector General who investigated uh, whether or not Donald Trump, as was reported all across the anti-Trump media, they said he had tear gas deployed, non-lethal weapons against protesters, police brutality, violence, cats and dogs living living together, mass hysteria, right? All this horrible stuff. It was all for a photo op with a Bible because Trump is such a monster. Except that's not true. It's a lie. This is what the Interior Department Inspector General report actually says. Quote, the evidence did not support that the park police had cleared the area for, for Mr. Trump. Uh, who strode through it on June 1st of 2020 before posing for photographs in front of St. John's Episcopal Church holding a Bible. Uh, The 30-page report by the Interior Department's Inspector General offers new details about the park police's decision-making. So, folks, I mean, what what else do we really need to see here? I mean, what else do we really need to know? They lied, again, about Trump. Another lie about Trump. It was not a photo op. And this was one week after the death of George Floyd and following, you know, all the riots that BLM was setting up all over the place. So the park police decided that they had to have a contractor come in to set up a fence to stop the uh, continued violent protests from from going on. Um, It's it's just unreal, unreal. And. They said there may have been inadequate communications between federal officials, but that effectively what what the storyline was, as reported in the media at the time, was evil fascist Trump tear gases, peaceful protesters who weren't peaceful. What was going on outside the White House and on the streets of D.C. at this point was chaos, bedlam, madness. Oh, because of social justice. Yeah, sure. It was all really about that. And they, they told this story about Trump and it was just not true. It was just a, it was a lie and they didn't care that it wasn't true and they don't care that it's not true now. And this is the important part. This is what I want you all to remember. The media now exists as warring propaganda machines. The media exists to push points of view. And those who pretend they're not doing that are often the biggest frauds and the ones you must be on the most guard against so this call it the cnn's of the world they're they're the biggest liars but this was just part of an of another in a series of breathtaking headlines oh my gosh from the corporate media the anti-republican anti-trump corporate media and it was it was just not true all right they were planning to clear the square before trump was doing anything had nothing to do with trump But that's not how it was reported at the time because they lied about him whenever they felt like it because they thought that even lying about Trump was righteous and moral because he's so bad, you got to lie about him. That was their viewpoint. Those who have experienced Marxism, those who have lived in societies overrun with social justice warriors of one kind or another are critical at this point in American history because they can tell us about their experiences and what really happens when you have people who believe 
putting the collective and putting the state over the individual is a pathway to heaven when, as we know, it is unfortunately a conveyor belt to hell. It ruins societies. It ruins countries because it negates universal truths and ignores essential components of human nature and the reality of life all around us. Marxism is a fallacy when it comes to human nature, when it comes to history, uh, when it comes to morality. And yet it has infected so much of the modern world and the largest single communist country, as you know, and I understand that it now has state-directed market activity and has become very wealthy, but the largest communist country in the world is, in fact, China. The People's Republic of China, the Chinese Communist Party, runs it. There are many institutions. They'll talk about a central committee and a politburo, and all these institutions are borrowed directly from Soviet communism, at least in their structure and their naming, for a reason. People who point out that China is essentially a mafia state don't necessarily seem to understand that, yeah, so was the Soviet Union, folks. That was also a mafia state of sorts. Thugs with absolute power running things for their benefit and the benefit of their cronies, all under the pretense of what's good for the people. The difference between, well, there are many differences between the Chinese approach and the Soviet approach. The Chinese recognize that without markets, you can't compete. Without market incentives, you'll, you'll never be wealthy enough to enforce your will against the capitalist states and the free world. So a, a Virginia mom, though, this was up on foxnews.com today, a Virginia mom who actually escaped from Mao's cultural revolution in China, which started right around 1966, I believe it was, she spoke up about critical race theory. She spoke up about what actually she sees going on in America today, and she has a direct, uh, she, she's making direct comparison between critical race theory's teachings of racial Marxism, as I keep telling you, and the approach of the Cultural Revolution in communist China under Mao Zedong. This is what this mother said at this school board meeting in Virginia. Play it. I've, I've been very alarmed about what's going on in our school. You are now teaching, training our children to be social justice warriors and to loathe our country and our history. Uh, growing up in Mao's China, all this seemed very familiar. The uh, communist regime used the same critical theory to divide people. The only difference is they use class instead of race. During the Cultural Revolution, I witnessed students and teachers again turn against each other. We changed school names to be politically correct. Um, we were taught to denounce our heritage. The Red Guards destroy anything that is not communist. Old uh, statues, books, and anything else. <clears throat> we are also encouraged to report on each other, just like the uh, Student Equity Ambassador Program and the Bias Reporting System. This is indeed the American version of the Chinese communist, the Chinese Cultural Revolution. The critical race theory has its roots in cultural Marxism. It should have no place in our schools. There was a period in America 
roughly the 19, uh, early 1970s, where because the, the Soviet communism had become so obviously decrepit and so clearly horrific through Stalin's purges and then just the continued police state apparatus, uh, most infam- infamous of the KGB, but the KGB went through various iterations, different, it was the NKVD, and it, there were different uh, variations of, of the secret police in Russia, um, stretching all the way back to the Cheka and the Okhrana. But by the time the 1970s rolled around, anybody who was not just a truly delusional and abject moron fellow traveler of Soviet communism realized the Soviet Union hasn't actually created a worker's paradise. It's misery and deprivation and poverty. So what did they do? What did the American left do? Well, they all of a sudden developed a fondness for Maoism. That's right. And the, and the Western left as well. Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, for example, the French intellectual, uh, he used to sell copies of a banned... Maoist newspaper back in Paris in the 70s. And uh, you had the Rolling Stones interrupted a concert in 1970 at the Palais des Sports in Paris, in Paris. They brought a French Maoist they called Serge July on stage so they could celebrate Maoism in the West, you see. That was cool. If you're a rocker, yeah, Maoism, yeah. Man, isn't that hip? That guy Mao, he really knows what's up. Oh, and then the Cultural Revolution story started to come out. And then people started to learn more as well about the Great Leap Forward and the famine and the millions and millions of people who were killed as a direct Results sometimes at the direct order of state policy. But there's the famine, and then later on, there was there's Mao's Great Famine, and then there's the Cultural Revolution, in part to shut down any inquiry or criticism about the fact that Mao's moronic communist policies, thuggish, idiotic policies, and it's starting to sound a little bit like how we describe some people in this country, right? Uh, that they resulted in mass death and deprivation and starvation and the usage of hunger as a weapon against dissidents. That was a, a classic Maoist tactic during the, uh, during the Great Leap Forward and the famine. Uh, but you start, to, you start to look at these stories and what happened. I mean, this woman, uh, this mother in Virginia was talking about the Red Guards. They were basically a, a paramilitary youth organization of... College students and high school students. Oh, what a surprise. They went for the young, easily misled, very emotional idiots and had them do a lot of the dirty work. The Red Guards would engage. This is this is under Mao's cultural revolution. Okay, when people talk about a Maoist struggle session or we should really know about this. It went on from 1966 until 1976. About a million people. Uh, more like a million and a half, they think, were murdered as a result of this over the course of 10 years. About a, over you know, a million and a half. In this country, we're told that it's a national crisis because the state, through police, 
killed, I think it was nine unarmed black men and not even necessarily illegally uh, in 2018, it was. I think that was the number. Might, might have been 14 the year after that. In Mao's China from 1976 to, 19, uh, 1966 to 76, about 1.5 million people killed directly as a result of state policy. Murdered. China just pretends like it didn't even happen. What kind of things occurred during this cultural revolution? And it was all about getting rid of the old ways of thinking. You could say that the cultural revolution was very progressive in that sense. They wanted to get rid of the four olds, they called it. Old thinking, old culture, old custom, and the old habits of exploitation. This is where the class warfare thing came in. Can you start to see the comparison? Why am I telling you about this? Not just for the sake of a fascinating, terrifying part of our history, which, as you know, I find worth knowing just in the first place. But this mother who survived this period, this this Chinese-American mother who fled Mao's Cultural Revolution, is warning about what happened there happening here in different ways, but similar enough that she's deeply concerned, that she's frightened separation of people, the balkanization that's occurring. Get rid of the old ways of thinking. Tear down, oh, I don't know, old heroes. You know, tear down the, uh, the emblems of the past that united people in a nation. Focus in on their divisions and exacerbate them. Turn them against each other. Make them hate each other. Promise them that if you, the party, so to speak, if you're in power, you will create equity. You'll make those divisions go away because you'll make everybody the same. But you're going to need a lot of authority to do that. And you're going to have to destroy a lot of what came before, you know, like the patriarchy, for example. Or pull down Columbus statues or get rid of the founding fathers, stuff like that. You want to eliminate all that from the public's mind. You want, and, and not just erase it, but degrade it, defame it. Make it something that people are ashamed of. And anybody who stands in the way of that, you have to punish them. You have to, you could say, cancel them. Are you seeing some of these comparisons? This woman who saw this in China is seeing the seeds of it growing here in America, and she's concerned. I say we listen to her and take this seriously. 